Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. Excited to be back with you here on this episode. I want to thank you for listening in and sharing this uh, with your friends and with your family. Uh, I want to talk to you on this episode about something that's been on my heart. As a matter of fact, it kind of stays in the back of my mind and on my heart all of the time. But I want to talk to you about a controversial thing. I know the topic of this is why Christianity doesn't work. And I hear that a lot about people, you know, they say, I've tried that before. It didn't work for me. And it's very disturbing to me whenever they say that. But the truth is, and from their opinion, from their vantage point, that's what they've experienced. That's been their experience. And and so one of the things that, that is hard for me is as working with people and talking to people, uh, it's just like, you know, you're talking English and they're talking Swahili. You know, they don't understand, but yet they say they understand and they have tried. And so I want to kind of build this argument that maybe some of the reasons why Christianity hasn't worked for some people in the past, not to be judgmental, but to try to be helpful. And I know that the answer always comes from the Word of God. And so I've picked this story uh, to to bring to us today in in the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 4. And the reason I've chosen it was because we have to understand, first of all, what's happening at this time. First of all, remember, King Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed uh, Jerusalem. He had come in, he had taken the artifacts out of the very temple itself and destroyed it. We know uh, that he had taken the Jewish people to be into exile for 70 years. And then, you know, basically this king of Syria now comes on the scene and King Xerxes, that's what I I call him. Uh, It's it's a hard name to pronounce, but King Xerxes then, he comes up and and he says, okay, it's okay. It's for uh, the Jewish people now to go back to the town to be able to live, you know, their native country again. And then we know that the city wall was torn down, the temple was torn down. But now in the book of Ezra, uh, Ezra comes on the scene because Ezra is going to start teaching the law again. He said the prophet of Ezra uh, is going to start uh, dealing with the things of God, reading the word of God. And But Ezra chapter 4, Ezra is talking about a time when they begin to rebuild the temple, not rebuild the walls. That came later by Nehemiah, uh, roughly 30 years later, then Nehemiah is going to come in and begin. But as the temple began to be rebuilt, uh, the city walls were still in ruins. The the God's people had not returned the, the temple to their temple worship like they were used to. So the Jewish people were kind of, you know, scattered abroad. They had, a lot of them had returned back home, but the, the land itself was under heavy taxation. Matter of fact, uh, they had been, began actually selling their land or excuse me, mortgaging their land to where they could actually just pay their taxes. And then they were such a, a, a depraved nation. They, they were so, they came back with no resources, you know, basically a destroyed city, a destroyed country. And then they would even take their children and they would sell them as slaves unto the heathen just to be able to get enough money to survive and, and, and basically, you know, restake their property and, and, and get their homes back. So it was a very difficult time, uh, nonetheless. But before Ezra, then Jerubbabel was going to come in and begin rebuilding the temple. And we pick up the story here in Ezra when the temple began to be rebuilt. And and I think this is important because what is the temple? The Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
So we are the temple. So anytime in Scripture we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament we see temple, we have to have something in our mind go off that says, aha, he's not just talking about uh, the temple being the sacrifice. You know, you can be talking about the church. You can be talking about Israel as a nation. But most likely when I look into the temple or also the older uh, temple, but the tabernacle, I think of our spirit, our mind, our will, and our emotions, you know, our, our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. You know, our spirit is the spirit of God that lives inside of us, but the soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. We know that within the temple, uh, you know, the, or also in the tabernacle was the holy place, which was the spirit of God. So we're thinking of spirit and we're thinking of soul. And so as this is beginning to be rebuilt, and I, and I liken this into the life of a Christian that's trying to rebuild their life. Maybe someone's never been a Christian, but they're going to start serving God. They're going to start getting into the church and they're going to start rebuilding building what the devil has torn down and what we have allowed and what we've allowed sin to tear down in our lives. So here we are in Ezra chapter four. And and what happened was, was the king had allowed the people, the king of Persia, uh, Axerxes, the king had allowed the temple to be rebuilt. Matter of fact, he had ordered for the temple to be rebuilt. And when he ordered that, he said, uh, you know, go back, rebuild the temple, do what you need to do. But that's all that I want you to do. And and so he so as they went back to rebuild this temple and to do what he had said, all of a sudden there's a rumor that starts floating around that says they're not rebuilding the temple, they're rebuilding the city. Well, that was a problem to a king like that because the king was already giving them great liberty, letting them go back. He'd let them return from exile. But he tells them, okay, go ahead. You know, you have my blessing. And I believe that that, that king of Persia, King Xerxes, obviously was a God-fearing man of some kind. He had had some upbringing and some knowledge of the blessing of God. And so, but, but when he gave the order, I believe that he was going to allow the children of Israel to get back in right relationship. He was going to allow them to do what he did. And matter of fact, later on, he let him do the complete work, but he got rumor back that said, they're going to build the city walls, which that we know was Nehemiah's job. So the, so it, there was an order that this needed to happen and the order it needed to happen was first rebuild the temple, then rebuild the walls. And I think that's one of the key things when someone's trying to rebuild their life in Christ is they begin to rebuild the walls before they end up rebuilding the temple. In other words, they begin setting boundaries. They begin doing good things in their life. They begin doing, you know, it's kind of like the self-will. You know, the self is able to pull yourself up for a temporary amount of time. Without the power of God, people can, we call it, you know, white knuckling, you know, in the church. During the altar call, they sit there with their hands gripped and their and their knuckles get white because they will not submit to God and go down front. Well, sometimes it's the same way in life. We can hold on and we can try to control and we can make things happen. Maybe, you know, finally get a job and stay true to it and finally overcome alcohol for a period of time, finally overcome some drug use. But then eventually your old hands get get weak. And if, you know, if God's not strengthening your hands and, and you're not depending on God, then eventually then you'll let go and then you'll fall. And we call that in the church backsliding. And sometimes I think people, they learn to do good things, which there's nothing wrong with doing good things. Hey, if I had a choice, I don't want anybody to go to hell and I don't even want to be lost. But if I had a choice, I would rather a society of people that chose to do good things and bad things. But we're not talking about a culture and a society. We're talking about how to live the Christian life. 
And to live the Christian life, there's a process. And, and first of all, the first thing that needs to happen was, is you have to build the foundation of the temple. That's your, your mind, your will, and your emotions. You know, the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans chapter 12. And that's important because he's saying that then also we're to offer ourselves to God, which is our reasonable service. So one of the first things we need to do is not build the city walls and start doing a bunch of good things in our own strength, but we need to rely on God and depend on God and start building the temple. And then what was going to happen was the temple was going to be rebuilt in Ezra's time. And then Ezra was going to start reading the law of God. Let me read this in Ezra chapter four, verse 11. This is the copy that the letter they sent to him, even to Xerxes, the king, thy servants and men in this side, the river and such time, be it known unto the king that the Jews, which came up thee to us are come up to Jerusalem, building the rebellious and bad city, and have set up the walls thereof and joined the foundations. Be it known unto the king that if this city builded and the walls set up again, they will not pay toll, tribute, and custom, and so that thou shalt and damage the revenue of the kings. Give ye now the commandment to cause these men to cease and this city not be builded until another commandment shall be given from me. Then cease the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so this is important. You know, the king, which I believe is symbolic of God himself, the king hears that, hey, they're not going to pay tribute. They're not going to pay toll and their taxes, which was actually a part of how the, the nation itself was going to survive. And so basically they're building this for themselves. I look back and think about the Tower of Babel. That's the whole thing in the Tower of Babel, you know, that the Tower of Babel then after the flood, you know, the men, the Bible says that they were going to build a tower even unto heaven, unto God. And so uh, basically that means they were going to build, they built this great city. The Bible says the Lord looked down and seen that nothing that they decide to do won't be done. In other words, all the evilness in a man's heart will be done because they're able to build and they had a language. So God went down and confused their language and sent them. He said he wouldn't cause a flood anymore, but he sent them to all different parts of the the country and then gave them different languages so they could not communicate because God does not think it's good for us to live a good proper, healthy life in spite of him. I know I know that's a lot to think about, but it's true. Why would God, if he's a just God, why would God want us to live a happy, good life in our securities of this, of this life, you know, in this great United States of America, wherever you live, why would God want you to live that way without God? God's whole idea is, you know, we have a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, we say in the church. God is, does not want you to have this happy life without him, but God wants you to build a life with him. Now, there are some very good people without God in their life that, I mean, are morally good people, but they're still lost and they're still going to hell. That's the reality. But God's people, if you, when we turn to God, there is something that God requires of us. By the way, it's not something, but it's everything. God wants a dependency upon him. And he doesn't want us to do this. Just like this king didn't want the children of Israel, the Jewish nation, he didn't want them building this and then also building the city walls before they reestablished the temple. Because if you build the city walls around something to protect something, but you're still not right with God, then you've done all that in vain. God doesn't want someone protected 
from conviction, protected from desolation that doesn't give their life to Christ. And there's an established order in this. And many times a Christian, they come to God because they want to have a happy life. They want to have a better life. Maybe they're in a relationship with a person and to save the girlfriend or to save the wife. This happens all the time to where they come to God to try to get something. I see many, I've seen many people come through the church. I remember one gentleman several years ago, he had multiple felonies. And I mean, he'd go and he'd pray and he'd go and he'd pray. Well, I mean, he never was in church before, you know, and I think God can use that. But lo and behold, once that time passed, he wasn't in church anymore. You didn't hear anything more from him. Well, he was going to church, evidently, whether he knew it or not, I don't know. The devil's deceptive. See, the Bible says our heart's deceitful. No man can know our heart. But see, that's why it's important to restore the temple worship. When we get into the presence of God, the Bible says that the Spirit of God, that God knows our thoughts and intents of our heart. It's many times that's why we push, go to church, go to church, go to church. It's not just to go to church to make you good little soldiers to fall in line in the kingdom of God. But it's that we learn and throughout our week, we engage in life and engage in things. And then we go into worship. And when we do, the spirit of God deals with our heart. He deals with our souls. And when he does that, many times I've been in worship. That's whenever we give to him and we worship him. But at the same time, God gives back to us. He infills us. Many times I've went into church and I've been corrected by the spirit, not in a bad way, but in a good way to where God says, you're not thinking about this right. You need to be thankful. You know, I remember one time I was real upset years ago with my job and I went into the house of God and I began to worship and God said, you know, spoke to my heart and I don't even can't even give it words because it was supernatural. But if I was going to give it words, it would be this. God said, you agreed to go to work for what you did. Be thankful you have a job. And I wept and I bawled because I was like, that's true because I don't deserve at that time. I had a pretty good job with a good company. Yeah. You know, I didn't deserve to be able to be where I was, but I was too worried about what someone else was making and not what I was making when I had agreed to go to work for the same amount and I should have been happy. So see the spirit of God corrected me, but see sometimes Sometimes people make a deal with God, they get right with God, they pray and say, God, please forgive me. And then they're not in church for a month or a month and a half and see the Spirit of God, not saying that the Spirit of God doesn't work in the work truck, doesn't work on the workforce. He does, and I've experienced that many, many times, and to this day I experience it. But when we first give our life to Christ, let me tell you something, it's very difficult to be able to have the Spirit of God working in our life anything like it does in the house of God. And so I go to church, not just as obedience to Christ, because I'm a living sacrifice, but also to be fed by the Spirit of God. And I encourage you, friends, if you don't go to church somewhere that you're challenged by the Spirit of God, I'm not talking about just by some person or just by some accountability group you're in. I'm talking about the Spirit of God that comes in contact. The Spirit of God come in contact with Isaiah, and he said, oh, I'm an, un- or, I'm an unclean man. You know, touch my lips with this coal because I'm unclean. You know, Paul, it knocked him off his donkey. And Jesus said, why do you kick against the goads, Paul? I mean, that's the spirit of God. I mean, it corrects us. But when it corrects us, it edifies us. And see, we can do all the right things with all the wrong motives. 
But if we rebuild the, and, and one of the first things to do in rebuilding it was to rebuild the altar. That was their job. They were to rebuild the foundation and rebuild the altar in the kingdom of God. You know, I was thinking about this and it says in Haggai, it says verse one, three, it says, then came the word of the Lord Haggai, the prophet saying, it is time for you, O ye to dwell in, in sealed houses and this house lie waste. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat but have not enough to drink you are not filled with drink ye clothe but there is none warm and he that earneth wages earneth wages to put him in bags with holes in it thus saith the lord of hosts consider your ways and what Haggai is doing is he's crying out to people. The, the prophet of God is calling out to people saying, look, you know, you do, you dwell in sealed houses and, 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 but it's made waste. He says, you've sown a lot, but you don't bring in anything. So there's a lot of activity, but there's no real reaping. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. So you drink all the time, but it's like there's something in your soul that's not full. My friend, there's a sin sickness in the life of people that needs to be filled. Listen, what did Jesus say to the woman at the well? He said to the woman at the well, he said that I, if you would have asked me to drink, if you know who you ask, you would have asked and you would have never thirst again. I don't thirst for the things of sin anymore. I'm not saying I'm not tempted. I am, but I don't thirst and I don't hunger and I don't live my life centered around when my next fix is or when my next sin is or when the next big party is. I don't live that way anymore because God has, he has quenched my thirst. He has filled my soul. And I sure I go through times of doubt. Sure. I go through times of drought and doubt and I go through times of, of desert times. Sure I do, but it's nothing compared to what I used to live before I rebuilt the temple in my heart and, and rebuilt the altar. What is the altar? The altar is a place we go and we bow in reference and accept the work that Jesus did on the cross that God completed through his sacrifice. He gave everything. You know, it's amazing that God gave everything. He needs nothing from us, but then he turns around and asks us to give something back. What's he asked us to give back ourselves? So I lay myself on the altar like the old sacrifices in the old temple they used to do. They would bring the sacrifices in and then they would, they would destroy, they would kill the sacrifice because of the sin of the people or because also the sin of the priests and because of the sin of the nation. And they would lay them and they would offer up a burnt offering or they would then clean the sacrifice and then they would they would actually cook the sacrifice, then share it. Listen, I lay my body down in the kingdom of God that I may be shared with God and that God may share with me. And, and I know that sounds silly, but the truth is, is that uh, many times in the sacrificial system, in the temple, and also in the tabernacle, those feasts, they were shared together. And when God, when I share myself with God, he shares himself with me. It's called fellowship. And that's why I always tell people in the church, you know, we believe in, we believe in a lot of different kinds of fellowship and also swallowship. You know, we eat together, we share together. Well, when we do and we get around the table and we share and we eat together, we have fellowship with each other. But in doing so, we have fellowship with God. When I lay myself on an altar, I say, God, here I am. And guess what happens? Next thing I know, I stumble across 
across someone that needs ministered to. Next thing I know, I find someone in the, I, I was in the doctor doctor's office yesterday and there's a young lady that has been, uh, had been coming to our church and I gave her a word of encouragement and her face lit up that we love her and we appreciate her and we, we miss her at church. And, and she'd actually been coming some, but she had been on vacation and things through the summer, but she, you could just tell it lifted her up that I cared and that we loved her. See, when I laid myself down that morning in prayer before God and studying God's word, I'd been praying that if I went, I saw her, I wanted to encourage her. And guess who? One of the first people I saw in the doctor's office, it was that lady, because that's what it's like being in the kingdom of God. I recognize that if I don't turn this spiritual thing around to dying to myself and giving to others, there'll be no spiritual life in me. It's not about building walls of my city like this was just a rumor I know that came back to the king. It wasn't even true, but the king has an established order. God has an established order. He says, don't build walls to entrap yourself that you may consume things yourself or you'll be like Haggai said. You'll eat, but you'll not have enough. You'll drink, but you won't be filled. You know, your clothes, you have clothes on, but you're never warm. You know, you earn wages, but when you put the money in, it all falls out the bottom. Does that sound familiar? When I lived in the world, it was like it didn't matter how much money I made, I could not ever get ahead. I could never barely pay my bills. And I'm not saying, brothers and sisters, when you get in the kingdom of God, it's easy. But I will say this I'm full today. And God's blessed me today. And you know, when I think I couldn't make it, God made something happen to where I could make it. And I don't feel like I'm just throwing money in and it's falling out the bottom. Sure. I spend about everything I make. I'm like everybody else, paycheck to paycheck. But you know what? Sometimes there's a little leftover, and I'm so much more thankful for the few things that God's given me. I've learned to appreciate the things that God's given me instead of just squandering them and just you know wanting more and wanting more and wanting more. See, that's all of the flesh, that we just want more to consume more. But when we're filled with God, little is much with God in it. So friends, I encourage you today, if you've known someone or if you've been someone that says, you know, I've tried this Christian thing and it didn't work. Why didn't it work? Did you establish the rule of God in your heart? Did you give God your whole heart, your whole life? Are you dying to God daily? Are you dying to those fleshful things? Or are you continuing sin that grace may abound? The Bible says, God forbid. Are you allowing Christ to rule in your heart? Are you continually, I believe in a continued prayer life, Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God, singing to yourself with songs and hymns and spiritual melodies. But if we will just turn to God and sing as our hearts, I believe in flash prayers throughout the day. How do you pray all day long to pray continually like the Apostle Paul said? Because when I'm talking to someone and I don't know what to say and they need encouraged, I'm saying, Lord, help me to say what to say. Help me to know what to say. Help me to give them spiritual life. When I don't know what to do, I'm saying, God, help me to know what to do. When I feel like I can't go on, I'm saying, God, help me to make it another day, another minute, another mile. It's that continual language. That's that relationship with God. I suppose to you many times people go into the house of God to say a prayer. They walk out of the house of God. They never talk to him again until the next week. They don't have a deep relationship with God. And by the way, get some people in your life that, hey, listen, this temple wasn't rebuilt with one person. It was many people. And and then God used uh, Zerubbabel and them to build, but also then he brought in Ezra to read the law. Then later he brings in Nehemiah to build the to build the wall around the city. I mean, he used many, many people. And you can look at Joshua and all the people that helped build this great work. I mean, there were hundreds of people used. You know, this kingdom things takes all kinds and it takes many people. 
I mean, it, it, God needs us in his kingdom. It's amazing. He really doesn't have to have us, but he's chose to have us and to need us. And I pray that you encourage someone in this word. Go to the scriptures and read it for yourself. And I pray that God fills you with the spirit of God and ministers to you in a great way. Until next time, friends, God bless.